from the at-home studios of Nebraska Extension 4-H Youth Development Coordinators. It's PYD in three. in three. Um, my name is Ashley Benish. I'm here with Maria Walker. And today we're exploring a topic on marketing. We're going to talk about communicating an influential message. Definitely timely for our 4-H staff as we enter into summer. And we're talking to a lot of stakeholders, but really for all year round, right, Maria? That's right. For sure. We may be seeing more folks than normal during the summer, particularly this summer. Uh, And so preparing to be able to talk about what you do and all the wins that youth have when they experience 4-H, I think is critical. And so communicating an influential message is really timely and also uh, a good tool to have in your tool belt. So for those of you just tuning in, we, in our segment one, do a really high level overview of the topic. And we take three minutes to do that. If you have no other time today to listen, at least listen to this three minutes. And hopefully that gives you um, some information moving forward on creating that influential message. But Maria is going to take three minutes on her timer and we'll talk through what this looks like. This topic looks like. That's great. All right. You ready? Ready. All right. I'm hitting start. I'm going to take us way back to my childhood for this three-minute journey and talk about uh, my dad. I don't necessarily talk about him that much on the podcast, but in real life, I do. He's still with us and still as hilarious as, as ever. But he used to say to me, a good story needs to be told. He would also Uh, leave out the part, whether it's true or not. Uh, My dad was a great storyteller. People listened to him. They believe him. (laughs) Sometimes it wasn't 100% accurate. He either embellished or threw in a crazy tale to uh, make folks say, say what? Uh, But they still believed him because he was pretty convincing. He's a charmer and he's a funny guy. And so how does this connect to anything we're doing? I think that as we create an influential message, that our lived experience should inform that message. It should be accurate. Unlike my dad, it definitely should be accurate. And that we present it with a certain charisma or authenticity that uh, really can create belief and have folks have something to latch on to. A lot of people call these messages that happen in a very short window of time an elevator speech or a professional pitch. I would advise all youth development practitioners to prepare theirs, to practice theirs, and that these speeches or pitches are three contain three elements. They are brief, 30 seconds, no more. They are persuasive and exciting three main elements for those pitches that you write it down and you practice, practice, practice it so that um, you have it mastered when you meet someone on an elevator and say, hmm, they say, what do you do? Or why are you here at this conference? Or you sit next to them at a chamber lunch 
and they say, tell me about what you do for 4-H. You're prepared and ready to go uh, to communicate an influential message that they can connect to or even say, I remember when I was in 4-H. And that message can then be shared. Uh, Hopefully they'll take that message with them out into the world. And so um, tell a good story like Martin Burgess does on the regular. Tell it with enthusiasm, with authenticity. And um, most of our lived experiences in 4-H, if not all, I'm cautious to say all, most of our lived experiences, 99.9, are persuasive because of the impact that this program has on young people and the adults with whom those young people work. Oh, there it goes. There's my time. So that's three minutes. If you don't have any other time, lean into your Martin Burgess side, folks. Tell those stories regularly. I, it is a tell it's, you're telling a story, right? And so it, I think sometimes it makes us nervous to give that elevator pitch. Don't over-practice, definitely practice. Don't over-practice, but yeah, you're just telling your story. You're telling your why. And so we'll talk more about that in segment two with our expert, Jill Bramble from National 4-H Council will be joining us. Jill is joining us today because she works um, at National 4-H Council leading the National Resource Development Team, and they're really focused on mission-related investments in science, health, and food security. So she focuses on working with stakeholders and top-tier corporations and foundations where she's raised over $25 million to engage over a million new people in science. So that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about telling your story, telling your message to, to hopefully get the word out about what your youth organization is doing. And so I'm excited to hear more about her ideas around elevator pitches and gives, hopefully she'll give us some tips and tricks um, so we can all start developing our own. Stay tuned. All right. Well, welcome back to segment two. We are here with uh, Jill Bramble, who is a lifelong 4-H'er, uh, very passionate about the ability of young people to help solve our most urgent issues in the world. And she's very comfortable talking about the mission of 4-H and what 4-H does. And she, at National 4-H Council, leads the national resource development team focused on science, health, and food security. So she does this for a living. Today, we're talking, again, about communicating an influential influential message. Jill, welcome. Thank you, Ashley. It's wonderful to be with you. We're so glad to have you on today, Jill. I have known you from afar, met you up close a few times, and you always have this super positive energy about just life and about 4-H. Folks, you can't see her today, but you even appear to be wearing 4-H green today, Jill, or something very close. And that to me says uh, you you literally wear it on your chest uh, in a good and positive way. So we look forward to kind of unpacking that with you in the next few minutes. So glad you're here. Thank you, Maria. Without a doubt, I bleed green. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Very good. Uh, well, as Ashley mentioned, you you are a lifelong 4-H'er. So we would love to hear a little bit about your 4-H experience. 
Sure. Well, I grew up in a very small town on the eastern shore of Maryland. And like many small rural communities, 4-H was the only youth development organization there. There was no YMCA. There was no Boys and Girls Club, no Big Brothers. There was Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, but really 4-H was the predominant youth development organization. And I was very fortunate. It was very familiar to my family. So my mother had also grown up in 4-H and was a volunteer. So I had access to the local 4-H program. My grandfather actually had a dairy farm. So dairy was one of the projects, was probably my main project I did through my 4-H experience. But I was also involved in public speaking and healthy living, civic engagement, club leadership, and I got to meet other 4-Hers from around the state through some special events as well. My club was actually called the Kennedyville Blue Banner 4-H Club. That is a name. I love that. Isn't that something? Yes. And looking back, you know, I had such strong mentors who really helped me get outside of my comfort zone helped me experience new things. And most importantly, I think, allowed me to fail and reset my goals and try again. Well, um, Ashley and I also are lifelong 4-Hers. We certainly can relate to that experience. I will say, I'm curious, what was a highlight for you growing up in 4-H and um, engaging in all those activities? Any one moment and or one takeaway that was a highlight? You know, it's funny. I, I mentioned that you're allowed to fail in 4-H. And so some of those experiences, whether it was being so nervous and stumbling over my words in a public speak, speech or having a Holstein heifer calf that ran off in the show ring without me or having a... Um, coconut cake that flopped in the, at the 4-H fair and was the last place ribbon. You know, all of those things stuck with me and I survived it. <laughs> I came out the other end with a resilience and the ability because I had really caring mentors that showed me how you can reset your goals, how you can do better um, and how you can improve and come back. And that gives a young person, I think, a a strong sense of confidence when you can come back from those failures. I think the other thing that now I would, I know it's called a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. but being involved, being part of a club, being um, with peers and part of something bigger was a really valuable part of my childhood that 4-H gave me. That's super powerful. I think it speaks to your experience as a, as a young person, but also those are all things that we don't think of in the moment when you're, when you're a kid and you're just enjoying being in 4-H. But now we look back and think, oh, I'm able to get through this work week because 4-H, all the things we learned, all the skills we learned in 4-H. So I appreciate you sharing your experience. And I think what's really hard a lot of times for our staff is being able to to vocalize that, put that into words. I think we're so fortunate to be able to, to be lifelong 4-Hers and continue to work in a, in a area that we're passionate about. So how do you, what's your elevator speech for 4-H? So when people say, what is 4-H, what does 4-H do? What's your elevator pitch that you give them? 
Well, I think that what I realized as I began to talk to stakeholders is that in 4-H, we talk a lot about what we do. Um, We talk a lot about the projects. And as I reflected on what was so important to me in 4-H, it was less about the actual project. So today in my everyday life, I the only dairy that I do is I drink milk and I eat ice cream. I couldn't tell you all the details of a dairy calf that I could when I was in 4-H. Same with other projects that I did. The projects really are a means to the end. What I took away from whatever I was doing, whatever those projects were, was work ethic, how to set and reset goals, how to measure progress, how to work with others, how to give back to my community, on and on. So the outcome, what comes out of your 4-H experience is what we need to be talking about. And those projects are merely ways to spark the interest, ways to engage young people so they feel that sense of belonging. But what drives me every day now is wanting all kids to have that same experience that I did, that 4-H experience, because I believe so much in the value that you learn through whatever projects or whether it's after school camp um, that the program offers. So when you sit down on an airplane, when and if you can travel uh, again, and someone says, uh, would you like a mint? By the way, what do you do for a living? What has you traveling? What is your initial response? So I always share that I work for 4-H. A lot of times the response would be, that's the agriculture organization, or that's what kids in rural America do. And um, what I immediately, I I say yes, because we are that. We still do that um, and always will. But it really is about helping young people find their spark, try new things, working alongside of caring adults. Our adults don't teach 4-Hers. It's not like school. Kids learn by doing and they lead from where they sit. So it frequently goes to youth voice and how all young people have the opportunity to contribute today, right now, not at some point in the future. And we have 6 million of those young people who are contributing right now in their communities, giving back, learning, growing, and becoming leaders. And our country desperately needs that. Our communities need that. And so I think that the power of this organization to deliver true leaders um, to our communities and young people who are thriving is essential. And their voices are essential today. I felt really like the positive energy when you said like our country needs these young people to be seen as truly or to be taken uh, in for all the assets that they have to bring. Uh, that for me was like, yes, hallelujah. I agree 100% with that. I will say if I am ever on an airplane alone, uh, the question, what do you do? Uh, I usually say, mm, have you ever heard of 4-H? <laughs> And then that begins the conversation with yes or no. And 
what that means. So I always respond with the question. I'm not sure that's right, but that's what has worked for me in the past. If you were to coach youth development practitioners on how to craft a pretty succinct, influential message on positive youth development and and what we do to contribute to that, what would be some tips or, I don't know, ideas or direction for coaching? Well, Maria, you mentioned our positive youth development practitioners, and I first just need to give a nod to them and the role they play. Our Extension 4-H educators are amazing, and I still keep in touch with my 4-H agent, Mrs. Elna Butterfield, um, who was tough. She was t- she raised the bar high, and she only did that because she knew I could get there eventually. But I really believe now that I understand the science behind youth development, I mean, they really should be called youth development scientists because they really do understand how kids thrive. Um, It is a science and it's critically important that 4-H continues to be on the cutting edge of human development science, social emotional learning, brain research. There's a lot out today and our 4-H educators are really important because schools cannot do it alone. So I think always keeping that connection to our nation's land-grant universities and that science is critically important. But when we are talking to investors or parents or kids about why 4-H matters, the inner workings and all of the science and the logic models and the process can be overwhelming. And so explaining the entire process of how it happens is really not necessary. And I'll give you two examples to highlight what I mean. When we, when we drive a car, we want that car to go from point A to point B to do fill in the blank, go get groceries, go out to dinner, go to a movie, pick up a friend. Every time we go to get in that car, we have an expectation that we turn it on, we put it in drive, and we go forward, and it takes us where we need to go. We don't start that process with someone that has the hood up, showing us the inner workings, telling us how the engine works, telling us all the safety features of the car, what kind of tires it has, what kind of gas it requires. We just want to get in the car because we want a certain outcome. Similarly, when we go get coffee in the morning, if we go to Starbucks to get our coffee, we're not, we go and we order our coffee. We don't know all about the soil conditions that grew the coffee beans and where they were sourced from and how those were ground. And we don't understand the whole process, but we know we love our cup of coffee from Starbucks a certain way, and we know we're going to get it that way every single day when we go. So I use those examples because PYD is very similar. As a young person engaged in the program, a parent whose child is in the program, or someone who's considering making an investment in the program, It is important to have that backup information if we need it. So the science is critically important and it speaks to the quality of the program. But we need to be talking about the why and what comes out the other end of a 4-H experience and what it means for young people and 
how that can be transformational. So many times when I talk to stakeholders, I want the young person to tell their story. That's when the light bulb goes off. That's when they can see what 4-H has done for that young person. So I would just focus on what comes out the other end and why that is important to the investor, to the kid, to the parent, which they may be three different answers, mm-hmm. but but think on the other end, not just the whole, all the steps to get there. I will say that was a purple ribbon speech. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that as a, as a potential public speaking judge, Ashley, but Jill, you definitely were in 4-H. Nailed it. (laughs) Maria, I've been selling 4-H for 15 years. I I get a little better every time and you all help me do that. So, Well, right on. Yes, I think about opening the hood of that car. Like, no, I don't ever do that when I drive. I just get in and go. So that's two great examples. For our listeners who don't know, we mentioned earlier, Jill's main job is to secure funding, really, to work with stakeholders and potential funders and secure funding. And she's done an excellent job, $25 million to engage 1 million new young people in science. That's pretty pretty impressive. I'm curious if you have any examples of that where you've had youth lift up the things that they've learned in their experiences and and how that was maybe an aha moment or you saw that light bulb go off for a stakeholder. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it happens a couple of ways. And at National 4-H Council, we lift up the amazing work that's being developed at the universities. So when a particular university is doing really innovative computer science, for example, but other states want to also do computer science, we go and we look for a funder who's willing to help scale that computer science 4-H program to other states. And so that's typically how the model works of how we help elevate, scale, and reach more young people um, with innovative 4-H programming. So um, on the flip side, we try to identify what's happening in the marketplace that allows for a company or foundation to need to scale computer science. So we try to balance those two. 4-H wants to scale it so more kids are involved. The marketplace is telling us they need more diverse computer scientists. And so we merge those two for kind of a win-win situation. But again, that the marketplace may feel like 4-H is only rural, it's only ag, it doesn't make sense to us that it's about computer science. And we begin to show the, just the incredible diversity of the 4-H program. It's important in rural, urban, in all different types of projects. So you can have computer science very applicable in an ag project or in a health project. It really can cut across many of the projects of the young people. And then many times we'll have our young people speak or we'll show clips of our young people and the amazing work that they are doing. And that's happened many times over where young people will share that they never thought they could be a computer scientist until they began to work on a robotics project in a 4-H club. And then they got more and more interested and their land grant partners began to give them opportunities to come on campus and learn more and work with professors. And the next thing you know, they're pursuing 
um, that in the workplace or for their college career. I guess I'm curious because we often hear, I know Maria and I talk about this a lot. A lot of people say, well, I love to teach. I am in this, in this role. I'm an educator because I love to teach. I I don't want to market. I don't want to, you know, secure funding with stakeholders. That's not, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So how do we get folks to kind of move to that point where they feel more comfortable talking about 4-H and the impact? Yeah. You know, we are such a humble organization. And a lot of times our 4-H educators, exactly as you said, Ashley, they care so deeply about the relationships with the young people, the quality of the program, and the trajectory they can get that young person on to find their voice. We don't, none of that needs to change. There are other peer organizations that are fundraising and marketing powerhouses at the local level. They don't necessarily have the depth of quality that we see in 4-H. So I think it's stepping back a little bit, letting go a little bit of the humility and, and really thinking about what is the outcome and why do I like to teach? What makes me feel fulfilled about that? What comes out the other end? And then really thinking about what is the contribution of a young person who can think, reason, set goals, work with others, knows what civil discourse is, they give back, like really think about the long-term impact of that teaching and what that does. That's what we want to sell. So it's not manufacturing anything. It's not being inauthentic. Um, But it's really just thinking long-term, why do you love to teach? What purpose does that give you? And what does that do for a young person? And then thinking about who does that matter to? Well, it matters to county commissioners. It matters to university presidents. It matters to governors. It matters to employers. All of those are stakeholders that invest in the 4-H program. So what that individual, that educator is doing every single day is an investment, is a return on an investment that's being made in that program. You know, I will confess to loving a microphone. So I hear you say, have youth tell their story? And that might be a great answer for a lot of folks who say, I just want to teach. But I will say, I love a microphone. And (laughs) here's why I think I do. It's because from ninth grade to 12th grade, Susan Brandon, my 4-H agent, that's what we called them at the time, similar to Elna Butterfield, which is a terrific name, by the way. Uh, Susan Brandon had, had me in front of the Rotary Club, the mayor's office, uh, you name it. She uh, had a 4-H member talking about their experience all over Wilkes County, Georgia. Um, and that... I. I got real comfortable talking about how I love this experience. Um, It is still easy for me to step back and allow a young person to talk now, because again, many folks just want to hear their experience, not mine. But I do think that strategy was key for my confidence going up Mm -hmm. for me to be able to talk about it now. And honestly, to, to choose this as a career path, but that's separate from, maybe what we're talking about today, but I'm just thinking, how many times did I do that? And that really helped lead me to where I am today. 
It's so true. And that is a perfect example of a win-win. That experience for young people builds their confidence, builds their leadership. At the same time, it is a natural, very authentic way to sell the program and show investors and community members the impact of that investment. Um, it's a it's a great example, Maria. I will also, I will say uh, I come from a small town in Georgia, and when I was hired by University of Nebraska Lincoln in 2014, uh, there was a blurb in what we called the office cat in our local paper that said Maria Burgess Walker. That was my name before I became Maria Walker. Uh, former 4-H'er of Susan Prince <laughs> is now working for 4-H in Nebraska. So even, even then, tell them the story. Uh, I hadn't lived in that community for years, but still connected and still having that connection to the work that, or the people that invested in me uh, so many years ago. Coming. That's, that's wonderful. And every single 4-H educator listening to this, I know, has an example of a young person that they impacted. They Many, many dozens of young people, but I know they can point to an example of a young person whose trajectory was changed through their experience in 4-H. And thinking less about what they do to teach and more about what was it that changed in that young person? Where are they headed now? That's what you wanna bottle up and talk about. And again, it's very authentic. We're not selling anything that you can't back up with quality and real examples, but it's just how we tell the story. I agree. Those ripple effects, so many lessons I've learned come from Susan Brennan, Arch Smith, Bo Riles, these some may, names you may know, just because they invested in me as a young person. One thing that we need to continue to think about is how do we engage young people who don't know what 4-H is, who don't know where the county office building is because there's not a big 4-H sign maybe, or don't know how to sign up because it's not in the school with membership like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. Um, One thing that I'm passionate about is thinking about how do we get kids engaged in 4-H when maybe their parents weren't. So there's so many young people that could benefit from a 4-H experience. And I think um, in addition to that 4-H educator thinking about how they talk about 4-H, it's also thinking about how do you engage audiences that haven't been involved in the program before and kind of have a welcome mat for everyone to the program. That's a great point where not that it's always, it's not ever easy necessarily to talk about the work that we're doing, but it is easier when you see that, oh yeah, I was in 4-H and and you have that connection piece. So working with first generation 4-H families makes a, a big difference. Um, and I'm sure that changes a little bit the the tact you take or the the route that you take to get to that that endpoint. So can you tell talk to us a little bit about the differences and and maybe the message you would give versus the family that's very familiar with the program already? Yeah, it's a it's a great point. So I think it's starting with the young person, right? It's starting with that sense of belonging and do they want to be connected with other young people? Um 
doing projects, learning new skills, having the opportunity to go to um, educational events and other opportunities in their community or in their state. Um, I think we we need to even simplify it even more um, and less about all the history and all the why of 4-H, but it's about engaging young people, allowing them to use their voice and take action in their communities and make a difference from where they are right now. Um, so often you hear young people feel like adult adults don't want to know what they have to say, don't want to hear their thoughts. Um, they have to wait till some point in the future to take action. Well, in 4-H, they can do all of that today. They can be advocates for whatever they believe in. Um, and I think 4-H is also so unique that we are connected to this wonderful land-grant university system that can offer exposure to college or to workforce that um, is right in their local community. Um, just yesterday, I was talking with some parents about joining a club I, I lead <laughs> as a volunteer, and they were saying, um, well, I don't know, this. I, my kid has different interests, and they'd rather be doing X, Y, Z than, than be here doing this. I said, just get them here. Yeah. Just get them to the door, even. <laughs> I'll take it from there. The youth that are already here will take it from there. Um, just, just bring them here, uh, to where we meet, um, which is not in the office. Cause you know, we, I live in Omaha, so it's a different part of town. I said, just get them to the door and, uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So as simple as possible, just show up. That's all we're asking. Yeah. Don't hit them with the 20 pages of forms. <laughs> right. <laughs> just come to the door. The first impression. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I saw that play out just yesterday. It was, I, um, just a quick aside, um, as an adult, when I went back to become a trained volunteer, the amount of paperwork, the amount of forms, it was overwhelming. And I thought to myself, I would not wish this on any of my girlfriends to do this. So we have to follow all of the guidelines that are so important, but we also have to think about what is that first impression? If you don't know what 4-H is, if your parents haven't shared with you what 4-H is and how wonderful it is, put yourself in their shoes. And what does that experience feel like when you walk into a room and know no one and you don't understand all the language of record books and fair entries and it's all foreign? We have to simplify it and make it about belonging and connecting young people. Such a good point, Maria. I do want to say officially, I might get a little choked up saying this, but I know uh, your portfolio, if you will. I, uh, you know, I've known you professionally for years and I know the kind of work you do to create opportunity for all kids to see, I am getting choked up. I'm sorry, Jeff, for, for all kids to be a part of 4-H. I don't know that everybody knows that about the work you do at council, you and the team that you lead. And I will just say that I am truly, truly grateful for that because I am convinced that it's that kind of work that would have allowed a girl number three in the family uh, from rural Georgia to be able to see the United States and then experience the world 
because of 4-H. So I am forever grateful to you, Jill, and to counsel and other persons that you are connected with um, to encourage folks to invest in young people like I was and Ashley and um, hope that you will know that as you walk away from this interview that we are truly, truly grateful for that kind of work. Well, Maria, you give me chills, but I, um, you all are doing the magic in the local communities and impacting young people. And um, I am inspired every day by giants whose shoulders I stand on. Um, And they are all extension agents, Um, whether it's the late C.J. Galger from Iowa, who added and our world to the 4-H mm-hmm. pledge. And I had the mm-hmm. opportunity to meet him when he was in his nineties or the late Millicent Obare, whom I met in Kenya and was doing amazing work um, through 4-H programs she did for orphan children. Uh, it's just lifelong 4-H educators who have given everything to young people and um are just amazing at what they do. And I feel so thankful to have been the beneficiary of that. And um, in my mind, more money equates to more kids. So the more we can raise for this wonderful organization, the more kids will have access. Well, Jill, uh, it's kind of become tradition. That's not a word I always use, actually, rarely, but it has become a part of our experience when we interview experts to end with the same question. And that question is, what is your PYD and three? You user's choice as to what three means, but for you, what's your your PYD and three? My three images would be a young person, a 4-H educator, and a spark. And that combination leads to amazing impact. And we need more of all three. Well, right on to that. I agree. I got chills then when you said those three. I feel it. I feel energized. Uh, I feel optimistic and confident in my desire to communicate the message. I'm so grateful for your time today. I agree, Jill. Thanks so much. And I, you know, I, the entire time we've been talking today, it's just, it's been a very, you know, visual experience. I've been able to see in my mind, everything you're talking about. And I think that to me is just a great example of being able to communicate the work that we do and and how important that is. So I appreciate your time. Thank you, Maria and Ashley. It was a wonderful opportunity to speak with you and thank you for all you're doing for our nation's youth. All right. Well, that wraps up our second segment. Stay tuned for segment three, where we put it all together. Welcome back to segment three. We just heard from Jill Bramble with National 4-H Council. Lots of great information about communicating an influential message. Yes. Well, I enjoy Jill Bramble as a general rule. So it was nice to have her uh, speak to the type of work she does and how we can be a part of that and learn from that experience. I don't know if you noticed, but it felt like she was so methodical and intentional, even in her responses to us. It really tells me that as she shares the message about 4-H, 
she takes it really, really seriously because of the great things that can happen with this work. And just the level of preparedness to me is really inspiring. We've talked about this on the podcast before and just, you know, the power of practice, but also in any time we talk about the work that we're doing with youth, it becomes automatic, right? So mm-hmm. it, I think that that's what I noticed with Jill too, is, you know, she's obviously gotten so good at telling this story, but also she's really just talking about what the program does for young people, which is, you know, an understanding of youth development, but telling it in a way that is easily absorbed from those of those people who are not youth development practitioners, right? I think sometimes we get very caught up in wanting to share the models and wanting to share the research. And sometimes that's too overwhelming for people. So being able to really break it down in a way that is just telling a story was pretty, pretty powerful to me. Because that story provides a human connection uh, for folks to say, I remember that feeling when I was a young person or uh, the moment I discovered something that really interests me, I can relate to that. And that's what you all do for a living. Yes, it is. That's exciting to be able to share that with folks. One thing I loved about her contribution today is that she said this multiple times, and I wrote it down, that youth can lead today. And I think that is a really important message, particularly during this VUCA time, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, that youth can be leaders today through 4-H, with 4-H, in 4-H, they can be a part of that. We're not trying to fix the world or solve it for them so they can maybe one day have a better life. They are an active role in working with folks in their lives to lead and influence today. And let them shine, right? Like they are our greatest impact. And so when we're talking about telling our story, let them lift that up, right? Let them tell their stories. Like it's it's so much more powerful when you hear youth talking about what programs have done for them, but also, you know, cut out the middleman, right? And like, we don't need to relay their stories for them. Let's let them do that. I remember a time when I was speaking with some folks here in Omaha and we invited one of our teen teachers that summer to talk about her experience with these folks. And so, you know, Stuart with the foundation had done some great legwork to get folks there to hear about 4-H in the Metro. And I'm trying to stand up and be really charming and convincing about how 4-H can be in an urban environment. But as I look over, I see the teen teacher just kind of chatting real nonchalantly with one person, they're sipping on some iced tea or something. And it's almost like I could hear the needle scratch the record. It makes a sound as the needle scratch the record on a record player. And uh, almost like the room stops. And the person with whom the teen teacher was speaking basically says, you're the first person in your family to graduate high school. And that one moment changed the conversation with those folks for the rest of the morning, that this teen could share about her experience teaching with 4-H, how no one else, not even thought about college, high school. She's the first person in her family of origin to graduate from high school and then be able to spend a summer teaching other young people about science and what that could mean for her future. I, I mean, I, I was like, my job is done. Like, I'm going to sit down and just push <laughs> this teen teacher into the front 
So just getting out of her way was probably the greatest decision I could have made that morning. And I didn't even know that before that moment, before that person who was actually listening to the youth said, wait a minute, you all need to hear this uh, and gave the youth a microphone and let that youth, that young person shine. It was transformative. Great example, Maria. And I'm sure it also changes now the approach you take moving forward in those situations with stakeholders, right? And and good reminder to all of us to lift up those experiences of the young people. And and they are more willing and much more capable than sometimes we give them credit for in speaking to groups like that. Indeed. A lot more exciting <laughs> than, than me. So Maria, I think we're to the time in our segment where we share our three. And I found it really interesting. And I do want to note that Jill is the only person so far that we've talked to that is used imagery or graphics um, as her three. And we always say you can do that and no one's ever taken us up on it. And I think it just speaks to Jill's, just the way her mind works and, and the work that she does and how that translates over into her thinking about youth and youth work. Yes. I noticed that too, Ashley. I'm glad you bring it up um, that as she is a professional storyteller, telling the story of 4-H youth development, that she paints a picture <laughs> and that can be a part of storing t- storytelling as well. And a part of communicating a really influential message is sh- literally sharing a picture or describing or naming something visual for folks to see and make that connection to help explain what we do and maybe why you do something. Fascinating. So Maria, what are your... (laughs) (laughs) So Maria, what are your three? Well, first, I love that she gets his old name, her 4-H agent, uh, Elena or Elna. Butterfield? Well, Butterfield, I mean, that's a great name. I love that she still can. I name mine often, Susan Brannon, Susan Brannon. Uh, We call ourselves the Brannonites, those of us who learned with her. Uh, But I love that she still can name her for each person that really invested in her. So I love that. It reminds me that our influence can last a really long time, whether or not we own it or uh, even recognize it at the time. A second is the reminder that youth can lead today. We're not preparing them for a future exclusively. We are, but we are also preparing them for today to act, that youth are an asset to our community and to our lived experience. They can influence today and that 4-H can help give the tools that create that. And number three for me is um, be intentional. Prepare yourself to be intentional in your responses because that can really elevate the engagement in whatever you're communicating. She was so uh, diligent and thoughtful in how she responded to questions we asked And so I think that takes a level of preparation, maybe thinking about it as you drive to your next event, talking about it with a colleague, processing it with your 4-H coordinator or supervisor, Uh, something 
answering the question, who needs to know this? What do they need to know? Being really intentional about preparing to share that story out. Those are my three, Ashley. And you? I've never done this. Uh, Jill has inspired me to think differently about my three this week. Um, I'm going to keep it, keep it brief and just say, keep it simple. Um, is my three, those three words, keep it simple. And the reason why is really that one, I think we need to be energetic, be excited about the work. And that goes a long way in, in becoming the hook, getting people excited as they talk. And then they may say, tell me more about that. And then at that case, in that case, you can, you can dive a little deeper. I think we often want to tell all of the things all at once, And that goes back to the model and the research. And and there are people who want to know more about that. Those are, those are maybe rare instances. And so really thinking about the why, why, why are we doing the work we do? And I think Jill said it really well when she said, it's not the how it's the why, and we focus a lot on the how. And so we really need to focus in more on the why, get them hooked. They will ask questions. They will be excited. They will want to tell their 4-H stories, but until then keep it simple would be my three. You're not throwing shade at all my stories, are you? No, (laughs) (laughs) never Maria. I love your stories. You know that. Well, okay. Just making sure (laughs) what our listeners to know, like if I were in an elevator with you, I'd be like, tell me more about (laughs) your father and his stories. So, you know, well, he would want to, he would want to tell you, we could FaceTime him. (laughs) Well, I've been uh, known to tell a long story as well and maybe embellish (laughs) here and there. So I get his, I get his uh, motive there. I get it. Yeah. Folks are hooked though. And they want to know more typically, Uh, (laughs) typically. Well, I hope folks today uh, have, felt they know the power of their influence and how they communicate about the great work we do for youth and as youth development practitioners we are so much more than educators we are people who can let young people shine and empower them to tell their stories get out of the way make it possible for them i love this topic ashley i'm glad we explored it i did too well said maria thanks for summing that up and we hope all our listeners uh, go home and practice your your elevator pitches. Uh, hopefully, post on Facebook. We follow us on Facebook. We definitely post those those quick pitches, and we want to hear from you. So, uh, more next time. <laughs>